0: Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component 1, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to Widgmo.com and check them out.
1: Hey,
0: everybody, and welcome to episode 83 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have A.J. O'Neill...
1: Yo, 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 coming at you so live with a brand new 2005 Subaru Impreza Outback.
2: Jameson Dance. Hey guys, I'm in my brand new bathrobe.
0: Very nice, very nice. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Matthew Podwisaki.
3: Hello everyone, thank you. Thank you for having me glad to be here I was uh, I was re- really excited to hear your uh, the recent show on FRP and uh, and it was a great overall explanation about functional reactive programming except uh, for one part it was like it ended up just being mostly about bacon instead of actually FRP which is which is cool I just but there are, there are a lot of interesting things going out there in the general reactive world that I think are fairly interesting and not just FRP but I think uh, reactive programming in itself is, is kind of taken off in its own way uh, very recently. Oh okay. sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, I was saying is is that it's picked up a lot of momentum. Uh, at least I know in the Java community and everywhere else, uh, with Netflix releasing uh, RxJava, and so that's having people being able to, for the first time, really write decent reactive uh, style programming in Java and on the JVM, where they have bridges to Clojure, to Groovy, Scala, etc. And even beyond that, then you, the, the folks at GitHub, who uh, who tend to be uh, Rx fans themselves, uh, went out and created uh, Reactive Cocoa, which are uh, bindings in a way that it takes a lot of the uh, the Rx concepts and maps them directly over to Objective C, which is all very fascinating. So it's kind of this coalescing of all of these things at once, and then on top of that, uh, Eric Meyer and uh, Martin Odersky and uh, and company are doing a Coursera course on reactive programming uh, starting, I believe, next month in November. That promises to be very, very interesting about reactive programming in general, not just FRP, but just reactive programming in general. I think it's a very, very interesting time. So uh,
0: before we get too far into this, uh, first off, I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself really briefly so people know who you are.
3: All right, sure. Sorry. Uh, so I am uh, Matt Padwaisaki. I am uh, with uh, with Microsoft. I've uh, been there for seven years now. Uh, been kind of uh, floating all over the place, uh, working uh, with F Sharp early on. And uh, then I started to really get more into the JavaScript side of things, because I, early in my career, I had been a uh, JavaScript uh, guy doing uh, healthcare websites, but not healthcare.gov, earlier in my career, before I joined Microsoft. And then... Chris Williams, who, uh, who's the organizer of JSConf, he and I kind of used to run a lot of the, the DC developer community, so he and I got to know each other quite well, and I kind of caught the bug from him on uh, on javascript. So what turns out is that uh, is that uh, we were talking a lot about node especially in the early days say in the 0.2 time frame 01 time frame when you know us us fine folks uh, using windows machines were, were were fairly ignored unless you wanted to somehow compile in sigwin and sure enough I would crawl over a broken glass and sure enough compile it because I was that excited about uh, javascript on the server. And so I worked uh, throughout Microsoft and trying to build enthusiasm for Node. And that turned into a large investment uh with MS Open Tech, which is a wholly owned subsidiary uh, of Microsoft, which does nothing but cool open source stuff, and able to partner with them and really get Node kicked off. And, and it's really spread like wildfire throughout the company uh, in our uh, uh, Azure mobile services, our Azure platform, uh, and a lot of other places around the company. So it's really kind of cool. And so for my primary role, I, I really just work a lot on uh, the Reactive Extensions um, team in partnership with uh, with MS Open Tech. We open sourced all of our uh, Reactive Extensions work uh, back last uh, November time frame. And uh, since then, it's been kind of catching up and and finding out what the community is using and and so forth. So, it's an exciting time. I I'm I'm really excited about where uh, where the community is heading, where uh, the libraries are heading, et cetera.
0: That's really cool. The next question I have for you is: Could you briefly refresh our memories as to what functional reactive programming is? Because we haven't really talked about it for a couple of months, I think.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, functional uh, reactive programming is the idea. the The way I like to to describe it is, is what you're talking about. Are you're you're talking about dealing with uh, with? Well, let's see. Connell Elliott describes it one way. Everyone describes it kind of a different way. That's really in in uh, functional reactive programming. What you have are are concepts of arrows and and so forth. Hold on, let me. Uh, think here a little bit, uh, that to me, it, it's just basically a way of describing or building blocks on, on top of uh, regular functional programming. So, you know, you have lists, and then you have map, filter, uh, select, um, fil- map, reduce, etc. Uh, and what functional reactive programming tends to do on top of that is add concepts uh, such as events being uh, these first class objects like a list is uh that you can compose over as well and so it's it's kind of viewing these collections rather over time so instead of say a a normal collection like an array where you do, do a map filter for each so really what it what it's about is about uh this notion where you have a time-based action, uh, time-based component into this, uh, this functional programming, and, and the reactive part really comes down to events. So what you're talking about is events over time with a really nice composition model that you would use for arrays uh, and so forth in, uh, in JavaScript. So you
2: talked a little bit in your
3: intro um, about the differences
2: between FRP and NRP. Well, you mentioned that. Can yeah. you go into more of the differences? Because I haven't never, I have actually heard of just regular reactive programming. I've only ever heard of it as functional reactive programming.
3: Yeah, well, it's really reactive programming is, is just uh, for talking about data flows, dynamic data flows. So it's, it could be where you have flow logic and so forth. One really basic concept that I think everyone would get about uh, reactive programming is Excel. There's not really a functional aspect to it. When I update cell A1 and uh, B1, I expect C2 to change just because I have a formula in there that says react to either of these two changing and I can sum both of them together in the third cell. So it's the idea that you're reacting to changes in the other cells and then it gets propagated to your final uh, result cell.
2: So it almost seems like the functional part is more of an implementation detail and yeah. the reactive part is is the core of the idea. And then you can use functional programming to compose it, it, these reactive things if you want, but you it, don't have to.
3: Exactly. That's exactly it. So one, okay, that makes sense.
0: One thing that I've seen with this, I think somebody was showing it off with, I want to say it was with Ember.js. Somebody was showing me that. And mm-hmm. basically the way that it works is that this functional reactive programming comes in where you make an ajax request back to the server and then it does all the dom updating and stuff when the response comes back and so it reacts to getting data from the server effectively
3: Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is absolutely describing uh, reactive programming at its core is that it's kind of a data flow where you are uh, reacting to uh, an asynchronous operation such as an AJAX request and sure enough, something, uh, something gets updated automatically through one piece or another. It's kind of like the Excel example that I gave before. And like I said, the FRP notion is the is uh, the combination logic or the kind of the higher order operations that you can do on top of them like the maps, the filters, reduced throttles, etc. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of an, an addition to.
2: Sure. So you mentioned RxJS specifically. And, yeah. And you talked a little bit about its differences from Bacon. Do you want to talk a little bit more about RxJS? Sure. What uh, it is and how yeah. you use it?
3: So... So RxJS is an offshoot of. Well, I would say it's it's actually uh, it goes way back to about two thousand seven, at least the inception of it, uh, for a project called Volta. And what Volta was was a way of basically doing tier splitting uh, of your application, so that I could write it once. And based upon uh, my target, I could write it as a Silverlight app, I could write it as a Flash app, or I could write it as an HTML5 JavaScript app, all using the same single code base. And what we found is that there were certainly interesting things about that. For example, the idea of, of first-class events. And basically, we were like, you know... Dealing with events are kind of a pain, especially when you're going across different implementations. And so we wanted a, a way to kind of generalize it into to a single form and say, you know, we, we came up with this thing in uh, in .NET was that you could build these higher options like map, filter, reduce, etc., on top of generic collections, without modifying the underlying collection, so it 's fully immutable goes through the chain and be lazily evaluated and right like, well, this could apply easily to to uh, to uh, to events, so sure enough that 's what we ended up calling it as early as linked to events and in two thousand and ten, uh, Jeffrey Van Gogh and myself uh, started writing rxjs which was a pure JavaScript port of Rx itself. And there were, of, of course, a lot of you know mismatches in terms of, uh, of threading and, and uh, mutexes and so forth. Uh, but what we found is 100% of the concepts map over very, very well to, to JavaScript. So whether you're doing callbacks or you're doing uh, AJAX requests or, or events we were finding some really, really uh, neat possibilities. Uh, So we were trying to create some really... Uh, cool examples to do that. So let's just cover some of the basics of what's, um, uh, what Rx really is. And so everyone's pretty familiar with the iterator pattern, you know, getting a four where you can uh, get an iterator and then you can move next. And it's kind of a, a, a pool sequence where you're pooling items from a collection and you don't really get anything until you call next. And, you know, each language uh, has its own way of doing that, whether it's Java, you know, ES6 generators, uh, uh, and so forth. And what we found is that the subject observer pattern in the Gang of Four book was kind of a way of talking about kind of push-based collections, but in a way. And so we genericized that a little bit and said, you know what, really the, iter- uh, the iterator pattern and the observ- subject observer patterns are really duels of one another. They're Pull collections, and the observables are push collections. Uh, So what we have are two main core concepts. We have our uh, consumer, which is our observer, and uh, that has three main methods, next, on next, which basically will give you uh, zero to infinite values based upon uh, how many things you have in your collection. And then optionally, you have an on error, which happens uh, zero to one time, and an optional completion, which happens zero to one time with either or if the s- sequence terminates with an error or with a completion. And then on the other side, uh, what we have is is the observable, which is basically the producer of data. And its core only has one main method, and that's subscribe, which everything else is is built upon. And what subscribe does is basically it runs through the the existing source, and you can then compose it with other things. And what it uh, it takes in that observer, and what it hands you back is a handle, or what we call a disposable, in which uh, you can uh, call dispose, and it will stop the observable sequence in its tracks. And not only that will it stop the observable sequence, it will also do stuff uh, such as uh, if you're binding to events and such, it will automatically uh, clean up all your event handles for you so you have no dangling events at all. And it's also pretty useful for things like AJAX requests and so forth when you want to cancel it before it's done. Just call dispose on the subscription, and if it's not done yet, it will try to cancel it. So it's those kinds of thi- uh, the the two the uh, the two pieces there the, the observer uh, and the observable, and then what we added on there was the kind of the functional reactive uh, uh, aspects to it, in which we added the higher order operations such as map, filter, reduce, uh, and and so forth, but. Reduce is really kind of hard to do on, uh, on infinite sequence as, as uh, observables may be. Uh, so we added a thing called scan, which is actually just an increment that you get. You get a new re- reduction and so forth. And time is also a, a really big component of the reactive extensions. For example, if I want to get the last five events, how do I do that? Yeah, if I want to um, uh, want to get the last events in the last ten seconds, how do I do that? Uh, so it's a lot of offering operations that we have in there, so you can really do some interesting complex event processing. Uh, in one of our demos that we have uh, out there, we have we have a stock trader demo in which we uh, start pulling data from a stock trade. Uh, stock ticker, and we start doing some really complex algorithms uh, uh, on the streaming data, all in JavaScript, and just uh, breaking down, uh, uh, checking for price spikes, checking for a number of things, uh, highs, lows, averages, and so forth. And this is all with one framework. Now, the third aspect of it is uh, uh, so you know when when we say Rx is observable plus link, plus scheduler. So th- scheduler is really the, the third part and actually one of the more important parts that a lot of other uh, people uh, leave out, and which makes RxJS actually fairly unique in that regard which is to say that the how, where, and when aspect of how a query gets executed is all controlled by the scheduler. So, for example, we have three kind of main built-in ones, immediate, current thread, and timeout. And so immediate does what you think it does. Uh, If you have a query to uh, execute immediately, it certainly does. Uh, Current thread will try to manage in a queue all of the things that it has queued up uh, for you. And the timeout will basically use uh, the best available and quickest available way of scheduling something immediately as possible, such as uh, using set immediate or Process.NextTick or message channels or p- window post message etc. We also have uh, notions of scheduling in relative and absolute time. So, for example, if I wanted to uh, schedule an observable to fire next Christmas, I can do that all in JavaScript. And then sure enough, this scheduler will go, okay, I will fire this event uh, next Christmas. How do you test something like that becomes very, very difficult. Uh, do you have to
2: do stuff to mock out of the clock or something?
3: Y- exactly. So, so what we have is if you look in uh, time, which is on the, on our GitHub page, we have a notion of a virtual clock. So indeed, you can swap out any of your, the schedulers at any point and say, I want to switch from normal time to virtual time. And so testing becomes a snap because you no longer have uh, callbacks uh, and asynchronous tests we can run it through and deterministically say that at uh, 200 milliseconds, this happened. At 400 milliseconds, this happened. At 500 milliseconds, this happened. And then at 600 milliseconds, you were done. Every single time. And so if you look at our tests in there, uh, you'll find that's exactly how we we test everything and how we tell people uh, to to test their applications is there's no asynchronous behavior involved at all and they're just able to, to write deterministic tests about something that's been wildly hard to do in JavaScript period, which is to write good tests for indeterminate behavior. I don't know about you, but I mean, I think that by default, I mean, testing asynchronous code sucks. It's hard and it's, Things like QUnit try to make it easy by having uh, async test and start and so forth, but still that holds up your test because now you're waiting a couple extra milliseconds and hoping that your event fires before then and waiting on set timeouts and hopefully set timeout cooperates in time. It's those kinds of things that that RxJS brings to the table. So we've kind of split it out where we've got uh, a core of objects and then we have each individual thing has kind of its, its own purpose. So, for example, RxJS has... We have time-based operators. Uh, we have, you know, such as timers, intervals, timestamps, and so forth. Uh, we even have uh, join patterns. So you can say, when this event and this event happens, produce this value. When this event and this event happens, produce that value. We also have almost like full SQL query-like semantics, where you can do group buys, group joins, etc. over over time periods, which is really kind of crazy for a lot of uh, a, a lot of things. But it's it's fairly useful when you when you find out you're like, holy crap, I can do that! I can I can really do like a SQL query over time against say a WebSocket, and people are like wow, you can do that? I'm like, yeah, you can. And where we'd like to go in the future is, is to go even further than that, is to, is to break it down into more of an expression language in that I can take the, the callbacks that you're giving me and break them down into trees and then ship them off to other servers. And so, for example, you could now have RxJS or rather even reactive extensions in the cloud uh, so that you're talking to the Netflix APIs or so forth, all serialized, all in JavaScript, all together, and so you could do linked, uh, you could do index DB queries the same way, you can do web service queries the same way, uh, without really having to change any of your code at all. Uh, it's just through the uh, the uh, the magic of a Spring or something like that, uh, where you can really go places.
2: So can you talk a little bit more about that? One of the questions I had coming into this episode was how reactive programming fits in to back end code. Because oh. I feel like all of the examples that I see are for front end code where you're responding to user input right. and then you have this sequence of transformations wired together that produce some output. But-
3: right. So there's a there's a product that uh, Microsoft ships as part of SQL Server, uh, which we worked directly with them for, called Stream Insight. And what that was is kind of like a Hadoop yarn kind of thing. When you're, where you, What you're trying to do is really deal with real-time data and being able to react to it in some form or fashion through complex event processing and so forth. Uh, so on the server side aspect of it all, uh, what you're really trying to do is... is a lot of uh, buffering and sliding windows of data. For example, if you're doing a high volume uh, transaction system uh, for for doing stock trading, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to start to do some time slicing and analysis. Say, give me uh, give me a five second window, give me a ten second window, or give me a uh, a minute window or a hundred a uh, hundred changes, either or, give me those. And then you can start to break those down uh, into further, more concrete things where you can start really performing a lot of business logic to say, okay, the price is spiked here, more than 10%, this is good, or this is dropping through the floor, sell, sell, sell now before it goes down even further. And not only that, but we're, we're talking about, you know, building APIs that are really, really responsive, and, and Netflix is kind of leading the charge in that respect uh, and, and as is GitHub with their Octokit uh, thing that you just released uh, yesterday octokit.net Uh, where they released a reactive version using uh, Rx so that you can basically have these uh, publish and subscribe mechanisms over wide networks and so forth. So you can model any number of things uh, with Rx uh, and even RxJS in particular. Uh, to do a lot of really complex business logic where you're taking in large amounts of data at a time, slicing it, dicing it, and making decisions upon it, and just as well building APIs uh, to expose the data in the same kind of way. That makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, but that time component is really kind of important because it's it's what makes Rx really interesting such as the ideas of back pressure where for example you could uh, you could be firing all of these stock ticker events and and so forth but what if your your, ends, your end system can't stand up to that kind of traffic? Because, you know, we're talking massive amounts of data being shoved at you at once. Is there a way to kind of tell the system to back off just a little bit or resume it? Or, you know, kind of a speed up or slow down or, or kind of in the Node.js style of, of, of pause and resume? on uh, on streams is is something that i'm sure we will be addressing uh, somewhat in the near future but in the meantime we have plenty of ways around that those kinds of things whether it's throttling buffering etc that'll get you around that but it, it it would be a nice thing to have like an async observable where you're on next on error and on completed calls are promises or or generators that you can then resolve at a later time when you're ready. It's those kinds of things that are fairly interesting as well.
2: Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Another question I have about this is that it seems like lots of proponents of uh, reactive programming use it as the organization for the application. Like they, I, I don't see lots of people fitting it into Backbone or Angular or Ember. They, they build an app out of RxJS, not use RxJS inside of some other framework. Is that accurate with what you see, and do you can you talk about why people do that
3: well I, I think there are there are a number of things yeah to address that first off, yes, because I've seen a lot of that because Rx is all encompassing in that you can build all of the binding logic that you want to through through such things as behavior subjects or replay subjects to to kind of get that knockout js uh, kind of uh, look and feel. To do that, in fact i 'm writing some examples to do that for our Qcon uh, tutorial uh, we have coming up and and so forth, uh, where you can do some really complex binding and yes yeah, so I've, I've found that people are are doing that quite a bit, some of the, the people in the community, but in the meantime, I, I am seeing some people uh, saying, "You know, uh, I would like to really control the scope, for example, in angular, so that I can delay it." and make sure it's unique. So for example, I have a search string and I don't want to overload my autocompleter or my type ahead. Uh, So I add in uh, things like throttling it by half a second, so I'm not going to react for half a second until you stop typing. And not only that, but I'm also going to make sure that uh, when I'm I'm doing something that the value is actually changed. Uh, So really ensuring that's that something has has worked there. Uh so I'm working on some bindings for for angular directly so that you can turn uh the http uh stuff into observables very easily their promises and just as well uh do scope binding and so forth that will allow you to do like richer compositions on top of your scope. What I'm hoping to do uh to really facilitate that is is make a kind of a core a smaller core RxJS for, to allow people so that if they, if they're using jQuery or Dojo or whatever, that they get the smallest amount of, of Rx possible, but yet the most important pieces. Because Rx all encompassing, if you look at our documentation, is quite large, but for the vast majority of the, of UI programmers, they only need a, a smaller subset. So it's going to create kind of a core, a smaller core piece of that. And then people won't, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, really complain as much and say so adding it to Angular if it's only another 5 to 10k gzipped, then it's really no big deal to add it to your application. And especially if you can find the right points. Uh, I've seen it plenty in, in Backbone and, and several other places where you're using uh, a subject, which I hadn't explained earlier, but a subject is uh, really nothing more than obs- an observer and an observable all in one. And why it's useful is what if you wanted to abstract over, say, a WebSocket where you have send and receive operations all in the same thing? Well, a subject is is perfect for that. And if you want data binding behavior as well, where you're where you're sending a new value in and you want that value bound to something, well, then you would use something like a behavior subject. So it's getting those right pieces in there where people are are starting to use these these smaller pieces of of Rx. And I'm working uh, with uh, with John David Dalton, who's a good friend of mine, and uh, I actually got him hired at Microsoft. And, uh, he and I, uh, always have these late night conversations about how we can, you know, make things smaller, faster, better, because he is all things perf. And, and so it's, it's getting to a smaller core, getting it faster, getting it leaner, and getting it, f- and making it easier for people to just suddenly go, why didn't I think of that earlier? Mm hmm. So, it's a very, very interesting time, because people are starting to fold it into uh, to a lot of their applications, and I'm seeing a lot of excitement uh, from a lot of different people. You know, Bacon has certainly taken off uh, in that they have a lot smaller core, and, uh, and, and we're certainly getting there ourselves. It was just a matter of finding out what that core really is to be important to most developers. But... Uh, for for people in the node world, you know, all bets are off. I mean, you can use uh, the whole kitchen sink there. And we're also working on custom builds to say, okay, I only want these 15, uh, 15 methods, and that's it. Go. And so just building custom grunt operations to do that. So plenty of things to do, that's for sure.
0: So um, do you see people out using this in the wild? And do you have, like, an example of, of a website or... Uh, specific things that they're doing with it?
3: Uh sure. Actually there are a uh so Netflix is using it a lot. I'm not sure how public uh what they're what they're using it for uh is other than I know they were using it for a lot of their uh HTML uh experience. But uh ChronoZoom, uh which is a really kind of a really cool tool for uh uh for visualizing kind of the, the timeline of the universe into small digestible chunks and to really start to dive deep into individual pieces of history that uses rxjs as well to kind of manage all of their events and and pulling in the data and so forth so it's it's really this huge huge really interactive website <laughs> And uh, we have some samples uh, out there as well, you know, it's like the, like some gaming examples that I've done, and I'm working uh, with a few people uh, on integrating it better uh, in their gaming experiences as well. So it's, it's definitely spreading around, but, uh, but ChronoZoom is, is certainly one of the ones that you know, like, gives you kind of a wow factor uh, when, when you realize RX is, is handling a lot of what they're doing. That sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it's a very fun project, and I mean, it, it's it has projects like that have a lot of a lot of you know a lot of real opportunity to kind of show off what what reactive programming can really do for UIs, because I I think people are getting tired of having to you know register and deregister events manually, keeping track of resources and so forth, and as your applications are getting bigger and more complex. If I can hand you a collection of mouse movements, isn't that a lot easier? than, uh, Or, for example, if I want to to describe what, uh, what a really uh, mouse drag event is, which is mouse move dot select many or flat map, mouse down, take until mouse up, and then suddenly you've just described in three lines how to track when you're dragging your mouse. You didn't have to have uh, three different callbacks. You didn't have to have some weird global state hanging around. You, in fact, encoded all the state you ever needed inside this stream. And this stream, then, you can pass to any method or you can return from any method. And then when people understand that, they're like, wow, wow. That's a really cool concept, especially in JavaScript. As we start to get into more and more interactive sites, where where touch is starting to become uh, more of a thing, is now we can start passing touch events around. Now we can start passing swipe events around. It's it's those kinds of things are, it, that really open your eyes.
0: Huh. Sorry, I'm and, playing with ChronoZoom. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, it's it's kind of addicting, isn't it? Yeah and and so it's all of those things where where people can suddenly just uh realize the potential of you know promises are great for you know for one and done operations but there really was no pattern for for helping people with with events and and this FRP style or reactive style that we're doing here really solves a lot of those problems because we handle all the event uh the events uh, handling and un, uh, subscribing and unsubscribing for you, all of the state is within the observable itself, so you don't really have to rely on some global state anywhere, and it just flows through through magically. It's, it just makes a lot more sense, and especially since we added in the, you know, the testability uh, aspects into that makes it more compelling. And we have a number of bindings, so if you, you know, if you want to use with jQuery, we have a jQuery binding set. We have HTML DOM uh, binding set where I wrote my own AJAX stack. Thank you very much. That was fun. <laughs> uh, it's like the rite of passage. Yeah, It is, uh, where you write your own JSONP uh, stack. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was good times. And, and making sure it was compatible all the way back to IE6 because I'm J Dalton that way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's so Riven
3: Yeah, so ex- exactly so, uh, so it was all of that And then adding on additional things Like adding things to the geolocation API, web sockets, web workers Wrapping all of those things Are fairly interesting in And I've done that in our in our DOM bindings And so, yeah People can start to, to take advantage of, of Rx in their favorite Frameworks uh, today quite easily uh, Because of that
0: Awesome. So, where do you see uh, RxJS going from here?
3: Uh, well, like I said, uh, you know, the expression stuff is is awfully interesting. We have a kind of a sister library to it called iXJS or Interactive Extensions for JavaScript, which is basically uh, the is where you have. A array-like uh, structures, uh, but they're lazily evaluated. So, unlike underscore and lodash, where, you know, when you call map filter uh, or even on arrays, map filter and all of that are eagerly evaluated each and every step of the way, with uh, with iX, uh, it doesn't actually uh, uh, fully execute until you call for each on it, and then it finally fires everything. And so we're able to get a lot better perf for a lot of people who are doing a lot of chaining operations and so forth. And so it's building the expression stuff into there as well. Also, uh, looking into uh, to making a, a smaller core for uh, for people who really want to uh, to have a smaller core. We definitely want to tackle uh, ES6-related stuff like uh, generators, promises, and so forth, if we can better integrate with promises and so forth since they're seeming to become a standard. Uh, Node streams, we definitely want to go there a lot more, although there's definitely a mismatch between... What they do and what we do, which could be a whole nother show believe me and it's it's a lot of exploration i mean we we have pretty much a blank canvas and JavaScript with uh, with es6 and so forth is evolving so much that it gives us a lot of opportunity to to uh, to do some really interesting things. Object observe is another thing. How do we integrate Object Observe uh, mutation observers and all of that uh into the core of Rx.
0: Wow, sounds like you're thinking about a lot of things.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm never short of ideas, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: Very nice. Well, we had some technical difficulties getting started, and so this episode's gonna be a little bit short, but some of us have some commitments, so we're gonna go ahead and uh, start winding down the show. But thanks for coming, Matt. Um. No,
3: no, thank you. Thank you for having thank me. You. I think
0: I need to go back and listen through this and like look up half the stuff you talked about, but. No,
3: um, yeah, sure, absolutely. Oh, and if you have any questions, you know how to find me. <laughs>
0: yep, absolutely.
3: Yeah, we're at at Reactive X on uh, the Twitters and uh, and uh, at Matt Podwysaki, so you can find me there. And uh, yeah, let's keep the conversation going.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that definitely helps because then people can reach out to you and you know get yep. help, get insight, whatever.
3: Exactly, and uh, and most of all, contribute.
0: Yes. All right, well, let's go ahead and do the picks. Jameson, what are your picks?
3: I only have one
2: pick. I had another one, but it sounds like Matt's going to have the same one, and I don't want to steal his thunder. It's uh, an electronic-ish album. I don't like straight-up techno, but I like lots of electronic-tanged music. It's called Sizura by Helios, um, and I'll post a link to it. And I had to look up how to pronounce that word, because it does not look like how you say it. Um, It's just great. Chill ambient electronic stuff.
0: That's my pick. Awesome, AJ. What are your picks?
1: Okay, so I bought a new car, and I'm a tall guy. I'm six foot five. So the one thing that I can't stand about vehicles is that whenever I get in them, I can't see out of the windshield because my eyes are up in that like blue zone where it's like the sun blocker. So I'm going to pick definitely the car that I bought, which is a 2005 Subaru Impreza Outback, which I love in every way. But also, while I was going around, I found that the Toyota Sequoia was also big enough for me to sit in. The Subaru Outback, the newer ones are big enough for me to sit in. The Subaru Foresters are big enough for me to sit in. The Impreza was definitely the best. Like I just sat in the seat and it was like perfect view of windshield, no blind spots. Like loved it. And then almost everything else sucked because I couldn't see out the windshield.
3: Is that it? So you're basically like Dina from the Flintstones where your head was just popping out of the top of the car?
1: Yeah that's, that's basically <laughs> how it works generally and like I hate driving other people's cars I hate riding with other people I hate getting a rental car because I never fit but Honda Civics the older ones not the newer ones but the yeah. old Honda Civics like from the the 80s and the really early 90s yeah those fit me pretty well and that's what I had except that I kinda wanted something a little bit cooler Gotcha. And um yeah, so most yeah, most cars I am I am like Dino, you know, I like I'm sitting in there and I've got my I've got you remember that uh, commercial taco neck syndrome? Yes from the nineties. Yeah. Yes. That that's kinda how I am in the car. I'm just like got my head sideways smashed up and my friends are always like, Oh my, my car's plenty roomy, like there'll be no problem and I'm like, Oh sure.
3: Yeah, my brother's six foot five and he swears by Audi, so good to know. Yeah. Yeah, he's got uh, t- he's got a an all road which uh, which yeah has plenty of room. Yep. So
1: well, one thing I don't understand this idea of the electronic seat mover backward, forward, or tilter because if you have to still reach the lever, why in the world would they make it electronic where you have to wait like ten cent- seconds for it to move back instead of a manual where you just like pull it, shift, done.
3: Yeah. True. All right.
0: Well, um, I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. The first one I have is this uh, Bluetooth speaker that I got for my phone. Um, it's a Jam Pop speaker. Really nice. Uh, I got the little bit bigger model, and it sounds pretty good, and it's, it's just nice for me to listen to music or podcasts while I'm working. Uh, the other pick that I have, I set up the IKEA standing desk that you can find off of Lifehacker. And put that on my desk, so I've been alternating between sitting and standing, and it's pretty nice, too. And so what I do is I just use the Pomodoro technique, and I sit for a Pomodoro, then I stand for a Pomodoro. And uh, anyway, I've been feeling pretty good. I've also been walking over 10,000 steps every day. And uh, honestly, just, you know, just be active. It's it's awesome. So uh, I'll put links to those in the show notes, and uh, we'll give Matt a chance to give us his picks.
3: All right, so uh, my picks are kind of selfish, uh, rather selfish picks. But uh, uh, the first one is Robots Weekly. It's a uh, little uh, Google Hangout that we do uh, semi-regularly where we uh, talk to really cool people doing stuff uh, in industry with uh, with robotics. And uh, talked to some really cool guys uh, so far, like uh, Rick Waldron for Johnny5. We talked to uh, uh, Rockbots about some advanced robotics and JavaScript. Uh, Daniel Shaw, uh, uh, Connect Team uh, guys, and so forth. So it's it's been a lot of fun. And I'll leave it off with uh, RobotsConf, which is a conference uh, for getting software developers um into hardware so that they're not afraid to uh to burn their houses down just to play with an Arduino board. Very nice.
0: Is is there a place where we can get recordings of those uh hangouts or
3: uh yeah. If you go to uh, robotsweekly.com, they're all there.
0: Awesome. Alright. Well, I think that's all we've got. So I just want to uh thank you for coming. Uh we'll mention our our silver sponsor and that is Reg Braithwaite and JavaScript Aler. Thank him for supporting the show. And yeah, we'll wrap it up and we'll catch you all next week.